0: Verse 5, and when thou prayest, this is not a command, this is an assumption. What's the assumption that Jesus is making? That you're going to pray, right? The assumption is that you're going to pray. If you believe in God, the natural thing is for you to pray, The amazing thing is, is even if you don't believe in God, have the airplane fall down. And the natural thing is, is for you to pray, right? Get the cancer diagnosis. And the natural thing is for you to pray. Even atheists pray when they find themselves at death's door. (laughs) But if you believe in God, the natural thing is for you to pray, right? Most people in the world today pray. They may not believe in Jesus. They may not believe in the real God. They may believe in a very false God, but they pray, right? In fact, many of the people whom Jesus ministered to believed in a false God, even though it was the Jewish God. It wasn't the real God. It wasn't the saving God. It was the God who said, if you're going to get to heaven, you've got to work your way there. If you're going to get to me, you have to work your way there. But the real God from all eternity said, That if you're going to get to me, it's going to be because of me, not because of you. But the Pharisees prayed and they weren't praying to the real God. They were praying they'd say God, but even, even Jesus said it wasn't to God. It was of themselves. And so the assumption is, is that you're going to pray. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners and in the streets. That they may be seen of men. And so, what What does a hypocrite do with prayer? They want everybody to see that they pray well. Right? They want to see that everybody, that they pray well. What in the world does that even mean? When a person gets saved and, and you say, we'd like to pray, why don't you come to prayer meeting? Oh, I can't go to prayer meeting. I don't pray well. What does that mean? Prayer ultimately means to beseech God. And sometimes when a new Christian begins to pray, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Because as I hear them prayer and the sincerity of their heart, <laughs> that they are going before God and asking Him to do some things that only God can do. <laughs> and then I... I find myself thinking about my preparedness and how many times I've prayed and and I'm so ashamed. And I ask God to help me to pray like the new Christian. <laughs> I've been saved since 1999. I want to pray like them. <laughs> the idea that uh, if you're just saved or if you've never opened your mouth to pray, that you can't pray is ridiculous. <laughs> Just don't pray like the Pharisees do to be seen, to be lifted up, to be thought, boy, Pastor John, he really knows how to pray. How about this? You know what would be better than knowing how to pray? Seeing the answer to prayer. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Boy, I could use every theological vocabulary that I've ever learned in the history of my life in my praying. But if it's not answered, what good is it? Except to be seen of men. And you know what? That's all the reward I get. What's the reward to pray? <laughs> the answer to it, right? That's the reward. If I'm going to ask God to do something, the reward would be that He answers it. <laughs> but notice what He says. Um, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly... But when you pray, use not vain repetitions the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be Be therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. And so, what's the reward of praying? Well, the Father, which seeth in secret, rewarding thee openly. Right? Blessing. And the answer to prayer. If you move down, he gets into fasting. In verse 16, moreover, when you fast, by the way, the definition of fasting is to refrain from food. And you can put drink into that, but mainly food. All right. And so some people say, well, I'm on a Daniel fast. What they mean by that is I'm only eating spinach. And, uh, drinking water. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not really fasting. Fasting is to refrain from food. Some people say, well, I'm fasting today. I'm not playing Fortnite. Well, praise the Lord, you're not praying Fortnite, but that's not really fasting. That may be sacrificing, but it's not really fasting. Fasting has an end game. And maybe Fortnite, not not playing Fortnite. Fortnite's a video game. For those of you who don't know, that a lot of young people are playing. I played it a couple times, and then I get shot within thirty seconds and die, and that's it. So, but uh, fasting is saying, you know what? I'm I'm going to miss a meal today because God, this is pressing upon my heart. This is a burden. Maybe it's a friend or family member that's not saved. Maybe they're sick and they're not saved. You know, there's been no greater burden in all my life than my dad being sick and not being saved. Now, it was a burden when my dad was not saved, but when he was sick, there was no greater burden. When my dad was in the hospital for three months, now I didn't fast for three months, but I fasted more in those three months than I ever did. one or two times a week forsaking a meal or two meals or all day just so I could pray for my dad I'll be honest with you if my dad got saved it was on his deathbed and I'll be honest with you I really don't know if I can really know until I get to heaven And maybe that's why there's tears in heavens, because we're going to get up there and we're going to find out there's people not there. Or maybe we'll get there and we'll find out they are there. And so we're crying. Maybe we'll all be like, excuse me for using my mom example, but maybe we'll all be like my mom when we get to heaven. We're all going to be crying about all the things that God has done. And then he's going to dry our tears. I don't know why there's tears in heaven that he has to dry. But I do know this. There's a couple of things. Number one, I began to read the Bible to my dad and he never stopped me after he said he got saved. I began to sing songs in the hospital with a loud voice and he never stopped me. I was probably embarrassing, but it didn't seem I was embarrassing to him. And my dad, when he could talk, said, son, I want you to know I'm okay. Now, those are not the most comforting words. I would have loved for him to say, hey, son, I want you to know I was gloriously saved and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and he rose from the dead the third day and I'm going to heaven. I would love to have that all confidence. But I've heard many other testimonies that have brought comfort to people where a brother woke up from his coma and said, I'm at peace. And then went back into a coma and, and there was confidence, I'll see my brother in heaven. I, I look forward to seeing my dad in heaven. But I tell you what, I did not pray more or fast more than my dad being sick and not being saved. There are many people who've been in my life who were not sick, who were sick but were saved. I didn't pray that way for them. They were going to heaven. But brethren, God wants us to be serious. What about our enemies? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. How serious are you about that? I'm going to be honest with you. I've got very few enemies as far as I know. But my neighbors who live next door to us, I... They did not like me. I'll be honest with you, I didn't like them. And as I've been studying these things out, God said, now they're still alive, so I need to take care of these things. You never missed a meal for him. You never were so serious about his salvation that you missed a meal for him. It's one thing to miss a meal for your dad. What about your enemy? Are you serious about his salvation? Or do you want Him to burn in the lake of fire forever? I'll be honest with you. I don't want anybody to go to hell. What a terrible phrase, go to hell. If only we understood what it was all about. Let's go through these Scriptures quickly. May God help us. I want you to notice there in Matthew 17. Notice what the Scripture says here in verse 14. And when they were come... You'll have to write these down if you don't get there in time. Just write them down, because we're going to have to go quickly. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him into thy disciples, and they cannot cure him. So here's this guy, this boy. He's out of his mind, throwing himself into fires and into water to drown. My goodness. My goodness. How many people today are on the verge of doing some drastic thing to die? This boy was drastic in his desire to die. I'd rather be burned to death than to live. I'd rather drown in the ocean than to live. He was a lunatic. He was sore vexed. Sore vexed. There's a lot of folks today who are so sore vexed. They're lunatics, right? We've got different words and I, I don't, I would not encourage you to someone who's in the throes of depression and wants to kill themselves to say you're a lunatic, but they sure are sore vexed, aren't they? And there's all kinds of ways that they think in their mind of how they might kill themselves. How often we hear about people who throw themselves in front of trains I remember when I was in college, I lived right next to a railroad track. And on several instances, waking up the next day and hearing that some guy put his head on the railroad track. How sore vexed must you be? There's a lot of folks like that today, brethren. What if they had someone to pray for? What if they had someone who said, I'm going to skip a meal for that person I heard? Wanted to kill themselves. This is what we're talking about here. Now, notice the disciples couldn't do it, right? They couldn't do it. And when they were come, uh, verse 17, and Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Here's the thing how much longer was Jesus going to be there? This is chapter 17. It wasn't much longer. <laughs> and so if these things were going to be done to where a person talked to their right mind and they said, I'm not going to kill them myself, it was going to have to be because of the people that were left here on earth. This is what Jesus is saying. How long shall I be with you? It was a rhetorical question. The answer was, not much longer. Right? What does Jesus do? Well, Jesus rebukes the devil. And he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. What an amazing thing. Did you know that God is an amazing God who can take someone who in one day wants to kill themselves and the next day is skipping through the woods? God can do that. Verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith of a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove thence and yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible to you, Howbeit, this kind go without, not but by prayer and fasting. And here's the amazing thing. We could look at the disciples and say they had not faith. And I think that's true. But how in the world could they have prayed and fasted for this boy who they did not know until that day? In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Just a little while back in history. And notice what the Bible says. In verse 14 then came unto him the, the disciples of John saying why do we and the Pharisees fast so often I mean we're fasting days a week but your disciples fast not why why aren't they fasting we're praying. we're fasting all the time you're not fasting at all what is going on here and Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them and then they shall fast. No man put a piece of new cloth on an old garment. And so why were the disciples not fasting? Because Jesus was still there, right? That wasn't because they had not been taught not to do it. Matthew chapter 6 comes before Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said, when you fast, and yet they were not fasting. And yet, when you get to Matthew chapter 16, or 17, Jesus said, these come not out but by prayer and fasting. We're not fasting, Jesus, because you're here. You already told us that a few months ago, that we're not going to fast until you're not here. You're the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're not going to fast until you're not here. Jesus was still there. Jesus said, These come not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, how does that reconcile itself? Number one, we need to understand that there are people in our lives that we should be burdened for and not expect someone else to be burdened for them. Who should have been the most burdened for his son? I gave you the answer Father, right? Who should have been praying and fasting for his son to not be so desirous to throw himself into a fire? I mean, if my son threw himself into a fire in order that he might be burnt to a crisp and be out of this world, wouldn't it naturally be that I might say, you know what, I need to pray for my son? Maybe I'll even skip a meal or two to pray for my son because I'm serious about this. Now, Jesus came along, and He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the man did nothing wrong by coming to Jesus and praised the Lord for Jesus, who healed that boy the very hour. Amen? But here's the thing. Jesus isn't here anymore. And so I want you to notice... What the scripture says. No man puteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment for that which is put into it. Uh, but that is, which is put to fill it up, take it from the garment and the rent is made worse. What's he saying? He's saying if you've got a new piece of cloth. You don't put. or if you have an old piece of cloth? You don't take a unwashed, unshrunken patch to put on it, right? Because if you put that patch on the old cloth, which is already shrunk, and you put a new patch on it, which hasn't shrunk, wool, which was their most of what they used most of, when you put it in water and then you dry it, what happens? Right. I, I go. I don't bring my suit coats and put it in the washing machine and then dry. It, right. You have a big guy and a little coat. Right. <laughs> and if I had a hole in it. I wouldn't want to put a new a patch that was not first pre-shrunk. Why? Because if you did wash it and you had a patch on it, what would the patch do? It would shrink and it would what? Rip the garment. That's what he said. What in the world does that mean? Thanks for the laundry tip, Jesus. Right? No. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot come into an old man. It has to come into a new man. In order for the Holy Spirit to enter into you, you have to be saved and be made new. When you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. The next part's about wine and new bottles. The wine is the Holy Spirit. Here's the point the Holy Spirit after Jesus died and ascended into heaven, came to indwell every believer. And there's a plethora of reasons why. But one of them is so that we might be burdened the way God is. And so that we might pray the way God does. Did you know that God prays for the unsaved more than you ever do? But Here's the amazing thing. We can pray for the unredeemed And the unhealthy. And we can pray as God does. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. But you know what gets in the way? Our flesh. I can be praying in the morning. And say, you know what? I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some oatmeal. You might say, well, there's nothing wrong with eating oatmeal. Unless the Holy Spirit says, don't eat oatmeal this morning. Keep praying. Right? Then it's wrong. Nothing wrong with oatmeal. Nothing wrong with bacon and eggs. But if the Holy Spirit who indwells you says, Not this morning, this is too important, continue to pray. Would you be willing to skip a meal to continue in prayer as the Holy Spirit promised you? That's what fasting is. And brethren, there's going to come times where the whole day is given to prayer with no time to stop to eat. There's going to come times in your life when you're going to say there's no time to eat. There's only time to pray. And then you might fast for a whole day. And there might be some here that are burdened for a particular thing. And it leads you to fast for more than one. Maybe three days. Or four. There's a big movement today in fasting. There's great health benefits. In fasting. That's what they say. Eat. You have an eight hour period to eat. And a 16 hour period not to eat. Or fast two days. Out of the week. So they have the. They call it the 5-2 plan or the 16-8 plan. You can look it up. Brethren, there's you know nothing wrong with getting healthy. You listen? Nothing wrong with getting healthy. But brethren, there are things going on in this world that needs God's people to be praying. So much so that we say I'm willing and must pray and not eat. Now, if you're not healthy, don't skip a meal and then die and then say, the pastor told me to. (laughs) Talk to your doctor if you're not healthy. But folks, most people in here could skip breakfast tomorrow if, if they really thought it was important. Or maybe eat breakfast at 10.30 instead of 6.30. You could. Most people in here. And I'm not saying that I'm commanding you to do so, although throughout history, there have been those that have said, let's fast together for this. Because the enemy is at the gates. <laughs> and if God doesn't do something, we'll all be Nazis. Let's stop and pray. And we're not going to eat today. Would you join me in that? And there may, may be some things that happen like that in history, in the history of our church. Well, I say, let's fast together, brother. Oh, that we might join each other in that. But why do we fast? In order that we might pray. Because it's serious. And we're burdened. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe there's someone on your mind right now a friend, a family member, a son, a daughter you say, the time now is to pray. The time now is to pray. And even if I don't eat, the time now is to pray. Would you ask God for strength? Maybe one time this week, maybe tomorrow morning you wake up and instead of eating your normal breakfast, eating drinking your normal coffee, you say, tomorrow, by your grace, God, help me to pray. go to God and ask him you're not committing these things to me these things are your is your commitment to God but make it serious excuse me the quietness of the moment ask God for help. Lord I thank you for this day. Thank you for your precious word. I thank you that you are a good God. Lord, you're not asking us to skip meals because you hate us or because you want us to have some magic tool. Lord, you didn't say that. you said when you fast. you didn't say fast on Tuesday. you said when you fast. you didn't even you didn't anywhere in the scripture even make it a command. You just said, when you fast. Lord, I pray that there'd be some things in our lives that are so desperately important that we'd be willing to skip a meal, to pray, and to ask. And Lord, I pray that You would get us all on board with You, that we together might see some things that are so important, that we together pray and fast. Lord, may You be glorified in it all. In it all. And may You be able to do some things that You have not yet been able to do in our age. Bring revival, Lord. Start it in me. Lord, forgive me how many meals I could have missed, but I was too fleshly. I was too unwilling forgive me please help us now we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name Amen